and growing. Praise God. Now, of course, we're not perfect. Of course, we're all works in progress. But let's celebrate. It's the end of term. It's the end of the academic year. We're going into something different. So let's celebrate all that God has done. Financial blessing that is wisely stewarded by a team of faithful administrators. You know, you have this wonderful, rare privilege of having enough and to spare financially. Not many churches can say that. That's God's blessing upon you. And finally, in my list, which is, you know, you could have carried on, but I read out a slide. The presence of the king displayed as we worship and meet to express his kingdom rule. You know, almost every time I come up, I get moved to tears by the worship. It's wonderful. Today, it was a, it's a classic example again of that. And it's wonderful to feel that God has blessed you as a church. And in a sense, we could sit back and think, you know what? Let's, let's rest in our laurels. God has done an amazing work amongst us. Isn't it wonderful? And it is. But of course, the old adage goes, change is here to stay. <laughs> so we are moving from one degree of glory to the next. And God is calling us to climb ever upwards. As I've got to know Stephen, and Stephen's going to come and share in a moment, but as I've got to know him, know him he's passed on some of the prophetic words that were all kicking off around about the time that SCF was launched. And even further, even years later, he's been sending me some of these prophetic words. And one that really captured my heart was a message or, or a prophetic word by Christine Larkin called the Two Paths Picture. Now, Christine had seen in her spirit uh, two pathways. One was called the Known Path, and the other was called the Unknown Path. And there you can see, look, a little diagram to get that into your imagination. The known path is probably the wider one that's been trod on a lot. The narrower path is the unknown path. And on this known path are good things, all of what God has been accomplishing and doing. And on the unknown path, as you'd expect, is not so well known. Let's have a look at some of the key points that she brings out in this prophetic word. On the known path is a clear destination. They know where they're going. They've got a vision, they spelt it out, and they're going for it. On the unknown path, their destination is to be discerned. In other words, it's not quite so clear. It's to be discerned prophetically. On the known path, many voices from wise people can be heard. But on the unknown path, only the Lord's voice can be heard. Not that the others are wrong. It's good to hear our voices, our wise voices, but on this unknown path, it's a path really that's un of uncertainty. It's something that's not been trod on before. It's kind of like a virgin kind of path that we don't know quite what's on it. And we need the Lord more and more and more to tread this particular path. There are clear goals and vision on the known path, whereas on the old path, unknown path, all visions and dreams are replaced with the one thing. That is, what is God saying? One thing about the vision that we as a fellowship should go towards. Much success based on faith and well-organized action. Again, great to be celebrated, but maybe God's calling us into full of faith, but aware of a total need of Christ's strength. Little trust in our own abilities. On the known path, courageous, confident, charismatic leaders. On the unknown path, leadership is more about sacrificially releasing people. 
It's not about the 20% of leaders and the 80% spectators. It's more about the 80% doing the work of ministry and the 20% coming up to there. Maybe the leaders are helping to push that forward. Many talented people busy working hard to serve the Lord with helpful programs. Again, great. Or people's self-confidence is replaced by a position of being on their faces, totally dependent upon God. This is what Christine saw in this vision, this, this prophetic uh, unveiling that God gave to her that Stephen passed on to me. An attractional church runs like a well-oiled machine. A new breed of kingdom missional church emerges. You know, we sang a song, and I took a photograph of the words. Where have I put my phone? There it is. And I want to read them out to us, which kind of fits in with this uh, two paths picture. <clears throat> For which I'm going to need my spectaculars on. It says, You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters, wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And I, as we sang that, my spirit soared because I really felt that that captured the very essence of what I believe this two paths picture is revealing to us. And I believe we as a church have got to come to a place, if we're going to follow the Lord, that is, where we are willing to say, okay, Lord, we've come to the end of the academic year. What's next? We're going to move into a new era. Whatever that may be, whatever it might take, we're just going to do it. So is God calling us as a church to rejoice in all the known path? Amen to that. But then begin to explore what might be ahead on the unknown path. How might this more align us to SCF's original prophetic foundation? I've got as a question here. Is God calling us to enter a new era? I'm going to call Stephen up. And I'd like you to share, Brown, what's on your heart that the Lord's put there along these lines. Let's welcome Stephen as he comes. How lovely to be here. I'm going to get old. <clears throat> Thank you. How lovely to be here. When somebody said, uh, I think it was you, Craig, welcoming people who aren't part of the fellowship, I thought, well, I am. But it was uh, a long time ago. And uh, back in 1971, that's been mentioned, in fact, just before the church began, uh, a few of us who God had joined together, I say that God had joined together, it was quite 
miraculous how it happened and if you want to know you better come and ask me because I'm not going to spend time on that but we began to meet to pray in our lounge in Witherford Croft a little three-bedroom semi we were all packed in there people under the piano people on top of the piano just to get them all in and just praying and asking God father we want something fresh in your life we weren't in rebellion against the churches we'd been in but deep in our hearts we were hungry for Jesus we said if this is life abundant we've missed it but Jesus we want the very essence of what you've brought us out of darkness into light for and a little bunch of people about 20 of us uh, began to meet and then in September has been said we actually had our first meeting September the 5th, 1971, we began to meet together. And that, that's your birthright. And it was God-breathed. I want you to know that it wasn't a good idea. God established this work right back in the beginning. And God began to prophesy. God began to encourage us and give us direction. But in our hearts, all we wanted was Jesus. That was the thing that we constantly said, we want more of Jesus and we want this area to touch his living life. And that was your foundation. And yeah, there were other things and I'm not going to spend time going into those, but I'll share them if you, if you want to as we, as we go on. But really as I was talking with Martin, it's been really great to, to know you and we spent some time in awful service stations having coffee together. But it's been a blessing in, in spite of that just to find one another. And I felt as I was just praying for this weekend that God wanted for me, and it sounds a bit grand but it isn't really, to lay something of a prophetic platform for him to begin to bring the word of the Lord to this weekend that will be a blessing to you. So I'm asking God, what do you want to say? Very often on these occasions, uh, we come wondering what God's going to do for us, don't we? Oh yeah, the, you can still respond, you can usually do better than that. If you don't speak to me, I just seize up and Martin will have the whole weekend to himself, which will be fine when I can get what I want to get here, because if I don't, I'll, I won't do it in the time that he's given me, and I think I've got the wrong book there. Never mind. But I began to, to ask the Lord, what, did, what, what do you want to say? What, what, what are we going to get from you? And do you know what the Lord said to me? He said, what am I going to get from them? Oh, I thought that was interesting. I didn't ask that question. The Lord says, what are they going to give to me? And you know what the Lord asked? He asked for a passionate obedience to what he's saying and he's going to reveal to you this weekend. That's what he's looking for from your hearts, a passionate obedience for him. And as I continued to wait on the Lord for what further he wanted to say, he reminded me of that verse in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says this, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, new, by the renewing of your minds so that you may know 
what the good and perfect and the bit isn't always acceptable will of God is. And uh, conformity is something that I don't know whether we're familiar with. I know Phillips in his translation, he says, don't let the world press you into its mold. I'm not a, a, a clever guy like, uh, like Martin, but here's a picture of Wagner who's been pressed into a mold. He's conformed. And Paul is saying, don't be conformed. Don't let the world press you into its mold. And you know, one of the problems that I've learned over the years is that the people of God gets pressed into conformity to religious thinking. Excuse me saying it, but I want to be very clear. It's not just worldly things, but so often we get pressed into ways of doing things. And God is saying, I don't want that. I want you to have a transformed mind. And those of you who are biology teachers, of which there must be many here this afternoon or this evening, will know that the word transformed is to do with changing from a grub to a butterfly. Scene number two. There you are. Again, you see, I can't do the clever stuff. My son would do this, but I can't do it. But there you are. Now, I'm not calling you grubs. Please get that. I want to emphasize what being transformed is. It's not a little tinkering around the edges. It's not a slight modification. It's not giving you some better ideas this weekend. It's transformation. It's renewing your thinking. And God is saying to you, if you're listening... I want to transform your thinking over this weekend. I want to change completely. This is a radical change. And I believe God's doing radical things with you at this time. I think that's, that's really so exciting. And I'm excited for you. You know, we want more of Jesus. We want more in our hearts of love for him. It, it, someone said, if, I don't think you prayed, didn't you? If Jesus isn't in it, we might as well go home. Well, well, we could have a good time, but, but you know, it's all about him. And God wants to renew our minds. Because if we don't get renewed minds, we'll never know what the will of the Lord is. That's what Paul's saying. Be transformed. Don't be pressed into religious molds and religious thinking. What was good of the old path wasn't wrong. But if God's going to do something fresh in your hearts this weekend, you've got to have an open mind. I've always said we need a plastic mind. You know, we can change. I, I grew up in... How long have I gone on for? Uh, God, I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren where we knew everything. Uh, we got it all buttoned up. We knew exactly what, how to interpret the scriptures. We knew exactly where to go. And my word, God had to deal with me over, over many weeks, months, and years. And he still is at times, I have to think, is that really what you're saying, Lord? Is that really the truth? 
to have a mind that will change. Be transformed so that you may know what the will of the Lord is. That it's good, it's perfect, and it's acceptable. And my prayer for you, and I'm through, my prayer for you is that this weekend you will have leave this place with a transformed mind because you've said, Lord, from tonight onwards, I want you to change my mind. It means that you grab absolutely everything that's going. You know, you're wise. You're listening. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to follow that unknown path, you're going to have to change. And it's going to start here because this is going to be the thing which will block the very thing that God wants to bring you into. I believe you're at a very pivotal time. This fellowship has had one or two of those over the years, which we won't go into now, but this is yet another one. It's a Kairos season of change. And if you're going to embrace it, every one of you has to start thinking with a transformed mind, a changed mind, so that you can prove what the good and the perfect, acceptable will of the Lord is. God bless you muchly. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I was enjoying that. He could have gone on from my point of view. But I was brought up in the Brethren too. And um, we all knew it all because they called themselves the Churches of God. Meaning every other church wasn't the Church of God, you see. <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord. Um, we moved on from there. Not that they were bad. They were brilliant. I owe such a lot to my Brethren upbringing. My dad is still alive and still preaches. And uh, I say thank the Lord for that. Okay, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes left. So I just want to share what I've written down here is developing a longing and a thirst for the freshness of new wine. God wants to give us fresh new wine. Maybe not the new wine we think is new wine. But a fresh idea of what, or a fresh understanding, a fresh revelation, a fresh moving into, a fresh being enveloped by this outpoured new wine. And I want to use this little scripture here, well-known first miracle of Jesus. I want us to go from good to better to best. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. You see, wine is always a picture of the move of God upon a people and upon a church. When God pours out new wine onto a people, it's always a movement of God, a particular outpouring of something different, a new revelation, a new era of uh, visitation from the Lord comes upon us when that new wine is outpoured. 
And as Jesus said in, in Matthew's scripture and one or two other places, he says, new wine always requires a new wineskin. So when God pours out new wine upon us, it's always going to need a certain change. Because if that wineskin that once was good and fresh and new to hold, to hold the old wine is still used for the new wine, then something drastic is going to happen. As Jesus said in his illustration, it'll crack, it'll break, it'll rupture, and the wine will be spilt and spoiled. But new wine needs to come into new wineskins. And who are the wineskins? Well, we are the wineskins. You, the church, are the wineskins. And Jesus wants to pour in new wine into these new wineskins. You know, Jesus' mother was close to the source of this best wine, wasn't she? She was near to Jesus. She was close enough to him to, for him to speak to her and for him to tell her what to do and for her to be simply obedient to do exactly what he says. And my question to myself and you tonight is, do I know, do we know Jesus well enough for his hand to be moved in our lives and in our lives as a church because even though the wine had come to an end or was coming to an end not many people discerned it most people kept on drinking what was there but obviously those who were more alert those who were observing the, the, the times the kairos moments recognized that the wine was running out and in any new season you're always coming to the end of the former season. And it's so important to know when we come into the end of a season in order to go into the next season. I always find it intriguing to look at trees in the spring or even in the summer and they've got last autumn's leaves still hanging on them. It looks incongruous. They should have fallen off because we're in a new season. And God is calling us as a church to say, come on, if we're coming into a new season, we need to be prepared for what that season holds. We cannot cling to the old any longer, but we're coming into the new. Not that we reject the old, we build off the old. We rejoice in the old. That's why I started with that. But God may be taking us into a new place. Someone observed that the wine had run out. In the beginning, they had good wine. But God wanted to give them the best wine. And that is the amazing thing about a new Kairos season in God. He's taking us from what is good into what is even better. And there'll be another season on the back of this one that even goes into the best. And any church that's growing in God is going from good to better to best. Because that's the heart of God. He never wants to leave us as we are. He wants to keep on blessing us, keep on building us, keep on moving us forward into greater and greater glory until we all pop off and be with him forever in that amazing place. So how do we transition from the good to the best? Well, it's called a revelation. And that's what the word kairos means. Kronos means any old season, going from season to season to season. So we have the seasons, autumn, winter, spring, summer. But kairos is a season in God. It's a prophetic thing. It's discerned by those who are hearing his voice. And they're saying, this is a new season in God. And so we discern it. And then we recognize that 
That old season's come to an end. That old wine is beginning to run out. We need some fresh new wine. We need to return to Jesus and wait on him until we are baptized again with his fire. And the place where the miracle comes, came from was a place of consecration. Look, Jewish rites of purification. It was a place of consecration. The, the miracle took place in a place of consecration. It took place and it, it chemically changed that which was designated for consecration into wine, water into wine. And so what do we can see from that? When we come to a place where we are consecrating our hearts to him, then a miracle can start working in your life. Isn't that amazing? When you are prepared to say, Lord, whatever it takes, we're going out on these unknown waters, but whatever it takes, I'm with you, I need you, I receive from you, I'm willing to be humble enough to be broken, I want to repent of anything that stands in the way because I want to be consecrated to you. That means set apart for you. That means having a renewed mind, as Stephen shared, that enables me to be in that place of consecration. And when I'm there, when I'm all for Jesus, when the world's behind me and the cross is before me, that's the point where I can have a miracle take place in my life. That is the point where a church has miracles taking place amongst it. That is the point where new wine is poured upon a fellowship because it's a place of consecration. Mary said, whatever he says, do it. We must simplify our hearts to the point whereby we are willing to be obedient children. That's the wonderful thing about kids, isn't it? kids who have been brought up well and they're in a good mood, I mean, when they simply said, okay, I'll do that. You know, see, so we have our grandkids on, on Monday, Wednesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Wednesday's bin days. All she has to say is, go and get all the bins, and they scurry all around the house and get all the bins together and put them out in the yard because they're obedient and they're joyfully obedient. They're not begrudgingly obedient. They're not waiting for a big stick if they're not. They don't even get a treat. They just love to serve because they're obedient. And that's what Jesus wants us to get to that place, simply obedient. The best wine then is waiting to be miraculously created and outpoured. How thirsty are you? Very Amen, bro. Thank you. Anyone else want to shout something out? How thirsty are you? Amen. Are you desperate for this new wine? Are you sensing that we're coming to the end of a season in God? Not that it was bad. It's been brilliant, as I shared. It's been fantastic. But there's something better. And if we want more and more of Jesus, and we're not stale and sitting on the sidelines and just lying back, then our hearts are thirsty for more. And when we are thirsty, he's going to pour his spirit upon us. How abandoned are we to tread along the unknown path? I don't know what it means. <laughs> That's a good thing, though, isn't it? It's to be discerned. It's not that we've got it all sewn up. We just need to wait on the Lord, and you've got amazing leaders. But they, even the leaders need to receive from the body because that's what we are. We are one body, and leaders are servant-hearted, and therefore we need one another. So what do we need to leave behind then from the past, the old season, to enter into the freshness of the new? Just a couple more slides. Here's Philippians 3, another well-known scripture. 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And even I want to participate in his sufferings, if that's what it takes, becoming like him in his death. Because I want all of him. That's what the, the spirit is there in Paul's words, yeah? Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, you can imagine him preaching, can't you? Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is the call of God, I believe, as we lay the foundation for this weekend. And I've got a few things up here which we may need to let go of. Let's make it real. It's a bit painful, I'm afraid, but here we go. What might the Lord be asking us to leave behind? I like that illustration. <laughs> Leaving behind all the stuff and going out on a limb if necessary. Past or current sins and failings and feelings of inadequacy. Do you feel a bit inadequate at times? That you can't, it's good to be inadequate and trust the Lord, but if we're inadequate because we're trusting ourselves and finding we're not good enough, and then we give up in despair, that's not so good. By all means, turn your inadequacies into a receiving of grace from Him. That's wonderful. But leave behind those failings, those sins, inner wounds, offenses, unforgivenesses, and insecurities. You know, we'll be talking tomorrow about these and we're given opportunities to leave those things behind. Fears of change and being out on a limb. Some of us are fearful of what I'm sharing in this session. We like things as they are. You know, we teach this thing on change in, in Caleb. And lots of people hate change. My wife hates change. I don't mind change myself. She hates change. And I have to work with her to bring her into change, you know. And sometimes the fact that she doesn't like change is good for me because she's reining me back into, instead of me jumping off a cliff, you know. So sometimes it's good to have people who don't like change. But I feel for you because I love my wife and I understand what it's like for those who don't like change. We're here with patience and love and grace. And even your, your checks may be of God even. We'll, you know, we, we have to be prepared for that because we need to be led of the Spirit. But if you've got a fear of change then God wants us to leave that behind, unless it's of him. Oh, look at this one. Educational prowess, superiority, or the opposite to that, a sense of educational lack or inferiority. Do you fit into those boxes? You know, some of us, because we've been educated, especially if we've been educated in good schools or good colleges or universities, we almost feel a bit superior to other people. We've got to leave it behind. You may be superior intellectually, but so what? It's not about that. It's about a love for Jesus. You may think you're as thick as two short planks. It's not, it's not about that either. It's about Jesus because he can use anything. In fact, you know, even the foolish things of this world he uses to, to shame and confound the wise. Well-worn ministry routines, practices that have become stale. Sometimes the ministries that we've had for a long time which we cherish and have been fantastic may in the new era need to be laid down or at least changed in some way. We need to be prepared for that and not hold on with gritted teeth and pride. Old creation identities, 
they need to change too, don't they? That is the identities we brought in from when we were not Christians. We still have those identities in our heads. Independent spirit, prides and skepticism. If you're skeptical, that's a sign of insecurity, I'm afraid. You, know, you, you might think we're smart if we're skeptical, but we're not. We're insecure. We lack faith. We're unbelievers in heart, really. We need to leave it behind. Opinions, rights, contentions, doctrinal stumbling blocks, rules-based Christianity. I come from all that. You should have seen, you wouldn't have liked me when I was in my 20s. I was a right, arrogant, argumentative old so-and-so. I had it all sewn up until God kicked my boxes over and told me it was a lot of rubbish, yeah? I, wasn't, I used to argue terribly against those who were baptized in the Spirit, who spoke in tongues. I used to almost call them of the devil until Jesus gave me, gave me the baptism and wrecked me, you know? And we need to be wrecked. And if, you've got, if you're stuck in the old thing, you need to leave it behind because it's not really of the Lord. So what are the potential outcomes? Here's a possible glimpse of the new era, and this is my final slide. A people who are more biblically streamlined, totally dependent on the Lord and one another, focusing on their one thing. I'm going to be talking about alignment in the, in the fourth message, and we'll be talking particularly about what we mean by the one thing then. We may refer back to this slide then. Fresh fire. When you ask, I love that phrase, do you? Fresh fire. Wow. I love a bit of that. Fresh fire, fresh confidence to reach out and touch hearts with his transforming grace. You know, Audrey came up to me before and she's on fire with his evangelistic love to reach the lost. These people, all sorts of things are kicking off because of the passion and the faith in her heart. She's got a bit of fresh fire. If you want a bit of taste of fresh fire, go around Audrey, okay? She's got it at the moment. Fresh fire and confidence. A people healed secure, meek, and attractive, reversing the 2080 syndrome. You know what I mean by that? 20% of the people do all the work and serve the 80%. Let's have 80% of the people doing the work, serving the babes who are the 20%, yeah? The Lord showed me a picture once. I may have shared it with you, but I'm going to share it anyway. He showed me a picture of a, a football game. And there was this people, and these players on the pitch, and of course there was 30,000 spectators around them. And the 30,000 spectators were cheering and talking a good game and so on. And, the Lord, and I felt, well, the Lord was saying that these represent the people, the congregation, and the leaders represented the players on the pitch. And the Lord said, no, 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 no. All the church is represented by those players. The people of the world who are not Christians yet, or just about baby Christians, they are the spectators. Let the world come and see the church in action, rather than the other way around. Amen? Okay, reverse that 20-80% syndrome. Become a place known for its extraordinary love, healing power, and the presence of Jesus in his kingdom. Amen? And finally, become a church for all people and a beacon of practical hope and love in action. There's some things. Just a few glimpses to whet our appetites. And no doubt we could have other prophetic things mentioned, but that's what God wants to take us into. And more, and more, and more that we can't even imagine at the moment. But if it's going to be like that, it's going to be good. Amen? And that's what God is taking us into in this new era. So who's going to shout hallelujah? Yeah.
<laughs> Amen. Bless you, brother. Thank you.